0: Welcome back to Driven Minds. My name is Gigi, and this is a Type 7 podcast. So how much of your day do you spend thinking about food? And I know this sounds like a stupid question, but it is something that we have to do anywhere from two to three times a day, not including snacks. And I feel this topic creeps up on us even when we're trying not to think about it. And in the past, when I had my own food issues—they're not all in the past, but I'm progressing— I found myself thinking about lunch when I was literally chewing my breakfast. No, I cannot say the word breakfast. And thinking about dinner before I even had a bite of my lunch. But our guest today has an approach to food that I've personally never heard or seen before. To her, it is so much more than when you're eating or what you're eating— It is emotional, it is political, it's personal, and most importantly, it's really how she expresses herself. Sophia Rowe is a cook and an Emmy-nominated host of a show called Counterspace on Vice TV. Also worth noting, she is the first ever Black woman to get a nomination in the culinary category, which is not great America, to put it lightly. In the show, Sophia reaches well beyond the kitchen to explore the impact of food across the globe. From Yemen's conflict coffee to food justice in the United States of A. My two personal fave episodes are Food Fears and Lebanon's Crisis Diet. So take those wrecks and run with them. While Sophia is not always plant-based herself, she is known for her plant-based recipes, particularly those involving mushrooms, which personally speak to me because I think Sophia is the only person I've ever met, besides Rick Doblin, check out that app as well, who is as obsessed with the fungi as I am. You can check out all of this on her Instagram, her cooking videos and all. They are completely hypnotic, so give yourself at least one to two hours. Another thing, this girl needs to be a motivational speaker because when I was researching her and listening to her on podcasts and watching her in these videos. I was so emboldened by her genuine fervor to make the world a better place that it actually rubbed off on me. I started Googling food pantry volunteer positions and opportunities and actually signed up for a few of them, which I definitely plan to follow through on. And I'm saying this without an ounce of bullshit. This girl's enthusiasm is truly infectious. And I'm sure she'll rub off on you the same way she did to me. So here she is, the incomparable Sophia Rowe. I'm curious when you actually said you were a chef and believed it because I've had this podcast for a year now and I actually started calling myself a podcaster and believing it Literally two months ago.
1: I still struggle with that. I, I like to call myself a cook, to be honest. Um, What's
0: the difference?
1: Um, I don't know. You know, I think it's because I've worked in so many restaurants and I just see like the things that the mm-hmm. chef does. And I'm like, I don't do those things. I'm not a kitchen manager. I'm not buying food. I'm not paying people. I'm not, right. you know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not overseeing yeah, yeah. the experience of a restaurant. But I also understand that there's way more ways to be a chef than working in a restaurant, Right. I think I think I, I literally feed folks, right, yeah, yeah I'm a cook. If for anybody to say different would be very strange.
0: You're a celebrity chef, girl. you are a celebrity chef, just you know I've cooked
1: for celebrities.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I saw the Selena Gomez thing when you taught her how to cook. Oh, I love Selena, she's a sweetie.
1: she's very kind
0: <laughs> I, you know that was really cute.
1: You can ask a hundred people who Sophia Rowe is, and they don't know.
0: well, you're famous to me. <laughs> um I've been so excited to talk to you because you are as unapologetically open about your journey and all the shit that you've gone through as I am. And you said this quote, which really landed for me because I have stalked every podcast you've ever done. (laughs) And you said, you said, it's not my job to make you feel comfortable about my story. And your story is a deep one. So can you tell us a bit about where it all started, where you were born and a bit about your childhood?
1: Yeah. Um... I mean, that quote really holds true for anybody. It's never mm-hmm. your responsibility to make anybody feel cozy about whatever you're going mm-hmm. through or you've been through. Um, I grew up uh, in all kinds yeah. of places, but I grew up mostly in Florida. Um, I moved around a lot. Both my parents were substance abusers. My mom is was a substance abuser up until very recently. And because of that, I really... I mean, I grew up in a very rambunctious life with a rambunctious life, I guess I should say. I have a different feeling about it now, years later than even just two years ago. I actually am in contact with my mother. I wasn't in contact with my mother up until um, about six months ago. Um, I never had a conversation with really? her.
0: Really?
1: Yeah, we didn't. We hadn't spoken in, since I was maybe 21 years old. I'm 33 now, for context. And it was actually me who attempted to reach out to her after a really crazy health scare that I had this year and really just talked to her. And she was she's sober, which is amazing. I'm so happy for her. She's been sober for about a year now. And my mom said something that was probably the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. She said, I think raising you would have been the most fun I ever had. And I think about that. I've been thinking about that every single day. You know, like, that's crazy to look back at your life for my mom to look back at her life and for her to now speak to me at uh-huh. 33 oh my gosh just 33 my mom had me when she was 19 for some more context right so like by the time my mom was 33 she had four kids already um and all four of them um, until very recently did not speak to her and and because of her own you know her own drug use and her own toxicity and not only did she apologize for that but we can come together now and really just acknowledge that my mom didn't belong in jail. That my mom wasn't like a horrible person. I feel like if we're talking about wellness and we're sitting, we're talking about like levels and the people who needed the most, I would say like people like my mom needed the most, <laughs> you know. So now mm-hmm. I just have a completely different feeling about my mom and my life as a young person. It was tragic. I definitely wouldn't do it again. Um, and I'm not saying mm-hmm. I'm grateful for what I've been through, but I feel like what I've been through. Gave me a very particular set of skills that have been really helpful for what I do now. So I'm grateful for those skills, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: I do. I know exactly what you mean. Just on a side note with the health scare, I also actually had one this year that was absolutely mental and my entire world stopped and everything was reprioritized. I mean, I stopped the podcast. I didn't talked to anyone for 2 weeks. I went off social media until I got a proper diagnosis for what was going on. So, whatever you went through, I really feel you and I'm sorry you went through it.
1: I mean, I'm sorry yeah. you went through that. I mean, but I do feel like we both kind of handled it how you're supposed to, right? You go and you just heal.
0: Well, what ended up happening to me is that it was a shit scan. So, I ended up just going back and getting an accurate scan of of my spine, but everything was reprioritized. I mean, in those 2 weeks, I'm so grateful for them, even though I was absolutely terrified because my entire brain, I feel, was rewired in terms of how I spend my time, what's actually important. And I needed it at the end of the day. And it was some sort of awakening. I don't know if you underwent something similar psychologically, but...
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, March. It was March. I had a stroke. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I didn't know I was having a stroke. I was having this weird vertigo and this ear stuff and just really strange stuff for, like, three days. Just, like, not aware where I was for a minute and then would, like, come back. Like, it was Uh very, very strange stuff. And I woke up in the middle of the night, like, just rambling. Like, just saying weird stuff. And my partner was like, you got it. We got to go to the hospital. Uh So… We go to the hospital. I said, I only want to go to the hospital in Long Island because I didn't want to have to go and wait in Brooklyn because I was like, there's nothing wrong with me. I had seen all these urgent care doctors. I went to the ear doctor. Everybody said I was fine. So I was thought they're going to say the same thing. So I go into the hospital. I go into triage, go to Long Island. This woman looks in my eyes and she's like, you need a CT immediately. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) So we go do the CT and immediately the, the doctor comes in. He looks in my eyes. It like starts saying stuff and IV, I start, he's like search me on like blood thinner. I'm oh like, god. what? He's like, you're having a TIA. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, sir. <laughs> he's like, a TIA is a it's a it's an acronym for transient ischemic attack. So it's like a mini stroke. Oh my god. But my mother's uh-huh. name is TIA. That's crazy. I said to the doctor, I go, Oh my God, I think my mom's trying to kill me. <laughs> And I said that as a joke. I said it as a joke. And he's like, what? And I said, oh, my mom's Tia. And I haven't spoken to my mom in, like, I don't even know how many years. And uh, they, they treat me. It's fine. But I just had this uh-huh. overwhelming sense of, like, is this genetic? Is my mom alive? Like, is—I don't—like, I just mm-hmm. had this overwhelming sense to get in touch. And it took me, it took me some time to find her. It's like, case, old caseworkers. And I had to really look for this mom. And then I called— mm-hmm girl, I called her and she was just like, oh, hey, Soph. Like, how you doing? Like, it just, it was like a day hadn't gone by. It was so bizarre. I was like, I haven't spoken to you in like 10 years. And she's like, yeah, you know, I always hoped that you'd call. And I'm like, you did? (laughs) So it's just, wow. Yeah. Really crazy. And, And then now we, we text and my mom is, My mom is a, has diagnosed bipolar disorder and clinical depression. She's got, Uh she's got some, Uh some kind of schizoaffective stuff, but she doesn't take any medication because she has terrified Uh of her addiction. So now I've got this really Uh interesting narrative of seeing my mother maneuver a mental disorder while also being a drug addict. And I'm there for her. She has these manic texts. Where she'll just text hundreds of texts to me and cry and be scared, and I just send her voice notes and I say, "Let's just box breathe this out. Like, let's just yeah, in in for five, yeah. hold it, out for five. Let's just like work through this, you know." And it works. And I can't tell her, "Mom, you you know you've got a mental, you've got some mental illness. Like, you should take a medication for that." She's like, "I should." because, you know, for her, it's a pill fixation. She's like, I swallow one pill. It's like, I want all of them. So it's really been Uh a fascinating past six months to just sort of bear witness to my mom trying to figure out what equilibrium looks like for her and no judgment. I am not judging Mm -hmm. her. I am not, this is her experience with her body. And I've, I've diagnosed clinical depression. I know it's a very real thing. I don't take medication for it. But I have in pretty intense protocols, like mm-hmm. um like sort of care calls is what I like to call them, um like in
0: terms of routine,
1: yeah, I have like care i have yeah, like protocols that are healthy for me, and that means um a lot of times that means. Uh, disappear and Discoveries, what I call it, D&D, um, where I just separate from mm-hmm. everything. Uh, it's like Michaela Cole says, like, dare to disappear. People yeah. call it R&D. I call it D&D. Like, dis- like disappear and discover I some love stuff. Yeah. It's like my, that's a big thing I do. I read a lot. I cry a lot. Same, same. I to my therapist twice a week. Mm-hmm. Probably my biggest bill. Also, same. <laughs> so, so that's been just a really wild um, thing I've been going through with my mom. And, really kind of bridged the gap from like my pre-relationship with her as a kid. My relationship with her as a young adult and my relationship with her now is sort of like about the middle age. Um, Almost middle aged. It's just really been pretty crazy.
0: How does it feel to be back in touch with her?
1: I love it. Not because uh, she feels like a mom figure because she doesn't. She has a face that I recognize. I, I never seen them before. My dad died before I could meet him. And I really didn't get much of my grandparents on either side because my grandparents on my mom's mm-hmm. side didn't want to really have anything to do with my mom or me, of course, drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a kid out of mm-hmm. race, that's my mom is, you know, having this very blacky black kid, you know, and with a black mm-hmm. man, you know, that wasn't like mm-hmm. super cool to my mom's parents. Um, and my dad's parents uh, didn't just didn't really know about me much. So it just discovering who I am has been a really important part of my adult Realizing that my dad, you know, my dad was half Japanese. My dad was half Brazilian by way of Angola. Realizing that my mom has Asian mm-hmm. culture, um, you know, generations back, and just just figuring out who I am as a person has been hard. I don't call my mom my mom. I, I call her by her first name, and a lot of our mm. conversations are really just her talking to me, and really just me enamored with her. She has. Such really beautiful syntax and really she's crazy language. Like, it makes perfect sense that mm. I grew up and I wanted to write because, like, wow. I, I sometimes mm. read the texts that she writes me and I can't believe them. They're so beautiful.
0: Right. So, who was raising you during this time? She's in and out of jail. She's an addict. Who is your caretaker?
1: I don't know. I mean, a lot of times, nobody. Just my mom.
0: So, just be you alone at the house?
1: Mm-hmm. So, it'd be like, uh, my mom would have a friend that would come keep me. Um, when I got a little older, I had a stepfather. So, my mom had, my mom married a guy. He was actually really lovely. He was really, really, really lovely. Mm. And then my mom divorced him and then married a drug addict <laughs> and then had two kids with that drug addict. So, my oh mom God. has, all of us have different fathers. So, as I got a little older, I just, I, would just be with these, like, stepfather figure people. Um, And then I ended up just just getting into foster care altogether. Then we all just got put in shelters and put in foster care, and we were just in and out of the system, as they say. And then eventually I I aged out of it. I I mean, when I turned 18, I was still a senior in high school, and I was just like, I'm going to go live with, like, my stepfather. So I went and did that and didn't want (laughs) to be in foster care, didn't want to do any of that stuff. And then I did that, and then I moved in with a boyfriend. How'd that go? Horribly. Um, but it was a way for me to get out of where I was from in that small little town area. Right. And a way for me to get away from my mom and everything that reminded me or that was that. You know, I just escaped that. So
0: you're 18, you get out, you're living with this guy. When is the first time you realize that cooking is your thing?
1: Uh, well, I, I knew cooking was my thing, even with the boyfriend. The boyfriend was an athlete, he wasn't in the UFC yet, but he was about to be. Mm-hmm. And I would help him get there. I I mean, I would. I, I had no mm-hmm. car, I had nothing. I would, but I just was fascinated by food. I would ride my bike all the way to the downtown Orlando library and just hang out in the food section. Fascinated um, by food and the alchemy of it all and taking something and making something mm-hmm. else. I thought that was really rad. Um, it wasn't until I kind of started working in food that I was like, oh, I guess I can do this. People always want that journey. I'm like, it wasn't a journey. I worked in a lot of restaurants for a really long time. Once you do one restaurant job, you feel like that's kind of all you can do if you don't have a college degree. I was a college dropout, you know? I mean, I remember I answered phones at a modeling agency for six months. I That was a side job. And then I was also working at a restaurant. And then I was working front of the house at this other place. Like, my goal was to just get money, Soph, because you don't have a college education mm-hmm. just, and you don't want to be poor. And I ended up breaking up with that guy, and then I was homeless for a little while. I was homeless for a few months, living out of my car—living out of my boyfriend's car that was about to get repossessed uh, with a dog that he left me with. He left me with a dog and a car that was about to get repossessed. Uh, and I would I would park it in Jesus. a different place every night so that, like, the repo people couldn't find me, you know? I would steal food, you know, and steal food from my dog and— it was so crazy. It's so a big reason why, when people are angry, even if somebody's really mean on the internet or something, I'm just like, man, I love you. I love you. I love you. Cause I know you're just so, you're who to be that hateful, you're going through it and like been there, been there, bitch. Hurt people, hurt people. Man, I have been mad and angry and a, a liar and a cheat. I have been all of them things. And it wasn't until that mm-hmm. I really just like laid it uh, laid out when you just split yourself open and you just let your guts hang out. <laughs> um, if you're not going to like me because I had a fucked yeah. up childhood, then like, you know I'm like, fucking people anyway. You know what I mean?
0: But when did you learn to be so unapologetic about it? Because I don't know. I mean, I've had mental health shit since I was like nine, just raging, OCD, anxiety, um, ended up in a psychiatric hospital. Oh, and Bubba. I did not. Breathe a word of this to anyone, literally until Brooke. She invited me on her podcast and asked me to tell my story
1: mm-hmm.
0: because she knew it. She was the only one who knew it, and um, I did. And it was the scariest moment of my life because I was afraid of all of this judgment. And I carried this with me my whole life. This just overwhelming sense of shame for the way my mind worked in mm-hmm. my past and what I'd gone through. But you're so open about
1: it. Have you always been like this? Or was this a process or? It was a process. I think, you know, for me, I just wanted to have a little, this control. I just want to have some control of my narrative. My thing is people are going to find out one way or the other. They're going to find out. Mm -hmm. I always have this imposter syndrome. People are going to find out that I'm I'm a fraud, you know? Right, uh, right. So I may as well just let everybody know that shit was really fucked. And by proxy, I am no longer a fraud, right? And and I, I just, I, I don't, <laughs> that's it. I know? love that logic. I so see you right now. You know <laughs> what I mean? I'm like, I, y'all, yeah, y'all totally. are going I'd rather just tell you and let you know that shit was yeah. really not it. And it was a yeah. mess and was real fucked in all the ways fucked can be fucked. It was fucked. And uh, <laughs> it was bad. And I was horribly abused and a terrible person. And my mom would steal shit and I would steal shit and ugh. Bad boyfriends, bad relationships, bad decisions. But I did all the bad things, all of it. Only thing I never did was just like bodily hurt someone, okay? That's the only thing I've never done. But like, I don't know anybody who's had it like beautiful and perfect. And I know that I definitely didn't. And I also know that like, I'm still nice and I'm still kind and I'm still considerate and I'm still um, healthy, boundaried. And, you know, you can have a super fucked up upbringing and not still exist within that. I don't wear the socks of that anymore, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. How is private chefing
1: complicated It's very complicated um, because you're you're at the whim of the individual uh-huh. that can be a really cool tool for imagination is sort of like wow i've I have mm-hmm. one parent who uh, only eats chicken that's a real thing. I have another parent who's a vegan, and right, I have right. kids <laughs> who only eat things that are crispy, so I have to figure dinner out every day you know right as they do as they do right so I guess, like, uh, private chefing is it's a great way to learn as a cook.
0: How did it feel catering to the whims of these people? And I'm assuming also not only catering to the whims of these people, but also their kids, when you didn't have these privileges growing up? Because I'm sure kids, you know, when they want something obscure, like— marshmallow pancakes or something. You're just like, go fuck yourself.
1: (laughs) I mean, at first, for the first few years, I actually actually just, I absolutely adored it. I thought, I am so qualified for this because I know exactly what care looks like because I didn't have it. So I felt like this is is the job Mm. for me. I know exactly how to care about people. I know exactly what I'm looking for. Um, I know exactly. Where'd
0: this come from though? I
1: mean, when you're starved of it, you're dying to have touch. Um, the one way that I can connect with somebody is food. A happy belly. I mean, still mm-hmm. to this day, there's nothing that makes me happier. I also grew up really fucking hungry. I felt like what an honor I get to feed people and also myself. Right. People always call it food insecurity. Fuck that. It's hunger. I grew up with looking at my mom, seeing her just be like, if I don't get to the food stamp office, or the WIC office before five today, I cannot feed my kids. And so, like, I'm in here, I am in this house with a corporate. No, with their family credit card. And they're telling mm-hmm. me, no budget, eat whatever you want. I mean, who the fuck am I to be ungrateful or complain? Are you kidding? I get to right. make whatever I want for these for this family. Let's let's go. And you also feel like you're part of a family. You get a big old Christmas bonus mm-hmm. and you you get you have, you know, there's other house staff. It doesn't dawn on you too, and doing it for five years that you're that you're basically an enslaved person doesn't dawn on you that mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, Fabiola and the housekeeper and the laundress and the driver and the, it doesn't dawn on you for a while that like, whoa, you, they don't even care about you. You know, like you start saying how you're feeling and that you might want to go away and they just throw more money at you and say, here's more money, stay. And you say, no, you're not listening to me. I can't work six right. days a week anymore. Like I've worked my twenties away. I'm 33 and I've never had fun in my life. Never, never. Never stayed up and hung out. Just those, those days when people have those stories about getting drunk with their friends and doing stupid shit. Absolutely not. Why would I ever do that and jeopardize my life? I had the most laughless uh, 20s. I mean, truly, it's the biggest thing I can't, it's the, it's the thing I'm most sorrowful about. And now I feel like it's even at 33, I feel like it is too late. I feel like it is too late for me because I have a partner and I co-parent a kid and I'm a producer on a show and hopefully more shows. And I have a team like now I don't get to be that, you know,
0: would you know how to have fun? Like one week, seven days where you could just like fuck off.
1: Would you know how to have fun or what fun would be to you? Fun for me is going to see live music. Fun for me is going to another country. Fun for me is um, having just alone time with my partner and his and his son. You know, like I have committed that 33 will be the year that I have fun and whatever that means for me, you know?
0: What are we thinking?
1: I mean, it's, it's just, it's really just a d- uh, deliberate going out of my way to be deliberate about fun and be like, today we're going to have fun. We're going to the studio. We're going to cook for fun. I mean, I have a great, I have a lovely culinary studio that's so great. And it's a place I walk in, I feel Uh safe. Nobody's judging me. If I don't knead the dough exactly eight minutes, no one's saying anything to me. Uh, It's a place I can eat whatever I want, try whatever I want. Um, Also, I mean, my life is, you know, I have fun on camera. I'm very lucky to have a job that is fun. I, I, my job is fun. Uh-huh. Being on camera is fun. Um, cooking food for people is fun. Yeah. You know, those things are fun. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just a that the fun that, is subjective. Yeah. That youthful, that youthful twenties you know? rage your fun. I never had that, and you know what? I really have no place for it now, or the energy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hear you on the energy, but you also didn't really miss anything, and I was really strict with myself in my early twenties because I so. I wanted to go to grad school and yeah. that was all I lived and breathed for. The first time I really had any sort of fun was when I was like 25, 26. Right. And it was also when I was most depressed sure. and would disassociate from my body constantly. In the yep. way that I fixed that was alcohol. So what a wonderful coincidence that, you know, I was working at a fashion magazine during that time and could go out with all of my coworkers and just get absolutely annihilated. And I totally hear you about like the watching the sunrise kind of 20-something fun that you'd see in like a Levi's commercial or the end of a Winona Ryder film. (laughs) But simultaneously, I don't know. I'm way more into the hanging with a partner you know, reading. Like, I always feel good after I read. I always feel good after I go to museum. It's like, right. I want to do these things more. Like, that is genuine excitement and fun to me now, you know? So the definition has definitely changed for me.
1: I think it'll change again, too. I think the most incredible thing about being a human is that it's a uh, lifetime learning. I think that's so amazing, you know? Like, I want to change. I want to be different Same. in 20 years, yeah. you know? You know? Try other yeah, shit. Try new things. Have different, yeah, like, I didn't use to skateboard. Now I do. You know, then maybe I'll be a person who does something. You know, like, I just think yeah. it's great to, to continue to just try things.
0: It is, but it also takes so much intention in order to do that because oh, we get so hardwired into our patterns. And I find myself eating at the same restaurant every day when I live in Berlin and there's a million places that I can go to. The majority of them I don't know. And I'm like, why am I eating at the same fucking organic restaurant Spot every day. And then I'm like, okay, this is like the orthorexic side of me, Mm -hmm. and like have to go beyond and like challenge myself. And I was like, I was so cool when I was young. I was like just always trying things and like I had no fear. I had no patterns. I had no routines, no rituals. And the older I get, I feel sometimes I scare myself because I become farther away from my childhood self. And I feel like my childhood self is actually me at my core. Do you ever feel this? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, all the time. It's a balance. Construction and deconstruction have to meet somewhere.
0: Yes, totally.
1: Where, where there's untying, there should also be some tying. You know, like some T's get get crossed and other T's just get completely erased, you know? And I get more keen and more aware the older that I get of like, oh, that T's not for me anymore. It's not bad. Yeah. It's just not for me anymore.
0: I want to touch on trauma because mm. in your Instagram bio, it says trauma-informed. And I love that you put this front and center because I feel the word trauma is so stigmatized and kind of off putting to people because we've been conditioned to associate trauma with the utmost gravitas like rape or death and while of course it can be that there are also these things called mini traumas Mm. and this is actually something I've been dealing with in therapy lately and I've Also, honestly, never talked about this on the podcast, but um, two of my exes have like punched through walls and cabinets, like one hurled a glass on the floor, read my journal. The other one smashed like three of my cell phones in a course of three months. And I've had so much guilt saying that I've undergone trauma or have experienced trauma because neither one of them physically hit me. So reflecting on all of this and saying like I'm a victim of trauma and actually saying that out loud and acknowledging it to myself has been not only a come to Jesus, but it's also given me a lens through which to see my current commitment relationship problems, which yeah. is like fucking bottomless. So I'm curious what trauma means to you and if it took you a while to realize or admit that you were a victim of trauma.
1: No, I knew for sure I was a victim of trauma. I definitely, I mean, I was physically hit. I was left by myself, you know, like, I I mean, I've been left in cars by myself for overnight. Like, I mm-hmm. knew I was, I no, 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 I knew. Also, like, who the hell is anyone to say what's traumatic and what isn't? Trauma? Like, I want to make it very clear, and I feel really qualified to talk about this as someone who's experienced an unbelievable trauma um, by proxy of, mm-hmm. like, family members, um, trauma mm. is any experience that happens to you as an individual, right? That feels mm. that A, you have no control over, right? That's like the number one thing that I think people forget. Trauma is, right. you don't have control over it. It's going to happen, okay? Good or bad, by the way, here's an example. It can be very traumatic to meet your mother for the first time. That's a seemingly Mm -hmm. good thing, but it still can be traumatic. So I think that traumas are things that, A, you don't have control over, right? B, they're things that your body Mm -hmm. physically has a reaction to. So there's usually a physical reaction, sweating, crying, freezing, not able to sleep, Mm -hmm. not able to breathe correctly. Like there are so many things, I'm sorry, panic attacks happen for things all the time. All the time. And so when people look at that and they say, oh, she's trauma-informed, what I want for them to receive is that I'm here for you in the way that you are, which means if you're coming in Mm -hmm. with a lot of trauma, I'm informed enough to read that that's trauma speak, which means you come in my DM super, super nasty. I'm informed enough on my own trauma to know that you're just a person experiencing trauma. You're just... I got it. Mm -hmm, Like, I understand mm -hmm. it. Like, that's my way of saying, I don't take it personal, Bubba. That's all it is. I'm understanding. I give you grace because I remember, because I know what that's like. And trauma can be, I'm sorry, it is very traumatic to have to sit and watch Black people consistently being killed in the media. And so I think we all need to just understand that everybody has trauma. It can be traumatic for an eating disorder survivor. Someone with disordered eating to go out to eat with their family. You know what I'm saying? It's something yeah. you can't control. You can't control how your family eats, and you also can't control that you have that bodily reaction to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we also end up sometimes just gaslighting ourselves because I feel like we do. Or I, I speak for myself, yep. and like that that word is so big because I always associated it with soldiers coming back for more. I know that sounds so naive and so rudimentary. But I really did. I was like, oh, my God, I have no right to say that I underwent trauma. I didn't come from a broken home. My parents are still together. I always had food on the table. By virtue of the definition or what I was told the definition was of trauma, I have no claim to this word. And it took, weirdly, actually, it took, have you ever seen Made? It's on Netflix right now.
1: No, Uh uh-uh.
0: It's basically about a woman who goes to a DV, a domestic violence shelter, and she is not physically hurt by her partner, but he verbally abuses her and throws things. And that was the first time that I realized, oh my God, Her story looks no different from mine. And she's in a DV shelter. And I just like didn't even go to therapy and moved on with my life. But like it never really left me Mm -hmm. and seeped into every single relationship I've ever had. And I was like, oh my God, that constitutes trauma. And I swear to you, Sophia, this is the first time I've ever considered it. Seeing it on screen, reenacted by, you know, this fictitious Mm -hmm. television
1: show. It's crazy the shit we normalize. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's all about the community. I mean, like, I feel like wellness is pretty simple. Food, air, water, movement, sunlight, purpose, community. Those are really simple. You have all of those things. You can be a great self. Then you can help take care of your community. And your community can be a great self. We've really lost sight of totally. community. We've really lost sight of what is what is um, agrarian, right? Like what grows out of this yeah. soil, right? Like we're so out of touch. You know, we have no idea. And so I just feel like all of us, it's safe to say, I'm sorry, mm, We're humans. We were not meant to be in contact with 100,000 people in one day. We weren't. That's not normal. (laughs) We were not meant to be doing that. We are as removed from nature as ever before. Ever. And also, we love to take ourselves out of nature. Mm -hmm. We love to, like, really just separate ourselves. You know. We are animals. We have a genus and species name in taxonomy, just like anything else does. (laughs) You know, I just feel like— There's so much about the human experience that is traumatic because we're so living against what is natural. Of course our brains are screwed. Of course we need therapy. So how did you go
0: from private chefing to where you are now, which is host of a Vice show. You have a incredible social media network where you are so involved, constantly doing lives, cooking dinners for people. What was the in-between
1: period? It was weird. Um, I mean, so I quit my private chef job with nothing. I had nothing planned, nothing at all. And I had a friend who told me there was like this casting Mm -hmm. at Milk Makeup. And I was like, I don't do castings. I'm not doing that. I'm like, what? For Milk Makeup, what? (laughs) What? So I go and I walk in and there's such a gajillion gorgeous people there. And I was like, nope, bye, I'm out, out. (laughs) And then this girl right before I went to leave is like, oh, I think you're on the talent list. Um, talent, whatever that, because I'm a cook, right? Like, so I had, I was like, actually a chef. I wasn't there right, as a model. Right. It was a different position. And I go into the screen test. I get all the way to the end and I meet Georgie Graville, who is a, the, one of the founders at Milk Makeup. And her and I are just chopping it up. We were just talking about all kinds of stuff. She just had a baby and we were talking about honey and eczema and all this stuff. And I was wrong for the job, but what it did was just sort of kept me on the radar and they needed someone in social media because they were about to take the company vegan. She's like, we we need this position and I think you'd be really great for it. And I was just like, I would. <laughs> I'm 27, 28 years yeah. old. I've never done this in my life. And I looked at Georgia and I thought, I'm I'm not qualified for this job. And she goes, it's fine, just don't tell anybody. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs>
0: The key, by the way, fake it till you make it.
1: And I, and I killed that job. I was great at that job. It was the job with social media. I'd already been doing it. I was already great at talking to my phone. I was already great at I got good eyeline. That was where I really got a great skill set for being able to do a direct-to-camera. Um, and then you fast forward to now, and, I mean, my show got out. That that happened by accident. I, You know, I believe speaking things into, into the reality is, like, very important. You know what I mean? Like, people have this weird thing about being, like, conceited Uh or feeling a weird way about stuff. And I'm like, no, I want to be on camera. I love it. And um, the Vice show, they were already kind of making it, but they didn't have a host for the show. And all I think she thought it was funny. Um, And she liked that I actually had real-world experience about talking about food and also, like, know everything about hunger. Like, that was kind of my MO. And so we did, like, a cool Mm -hmm. meet-and-greet screen test, and that was it. Uh, That was the host of the show. And we had no clue that the show was going to be what it was. We made it with, like, six people, (laughs) and uh, then I got nominated for an Emmy for it. Um, But then, as that happens, you see the holes in the industry. To be the first Black person nominated for an Emmy in the culinary category is kind of embarrassing. Um, Black woman. Um, And then we got picked up for a second season, which is cool. So we just finished that. We just finished the second season, which is rad. So, yeah, I guess it. When the end, when people ask me, like, how did you get this? I'm like, I just told the fucking truth. I don't know. You know, people love to ask yeah. me that question. Like, how did you, how do you have this career? And I'm like, I I, I just told the truth my the whole time. Just really told the truth about what I had, what I didn't have, what I could do, and what I couldn't do. And I practiced my ass off. I took acting classes mm-hmm. way before I ever had a TV show. I took acting classes for two years before I ever had a TV show. And didn't tell anybody, you know, because— Because you wanted to be an
0: actor or just— No, because
1: I knew I wanted to be on camera, and I knew I wanted those skills. I knew I wanted on-camera skills. Mm. Like, it sounds silly until it's not, you know? It's like, it's all fun and games. Like, me being in the background, taking little acting classes. Like, I remember I had told a few friends, and they were making fun of me. And like, who's got the last laugh now? I was nominated for an Emmy. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of the day, like, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, it pays to just— Do the thing you like doing, even if it's not making you money yet, you know?
0: Totally, totally. And then you also, you know, you don't have imposter syndrome. Like, if you are constantly ready for the opportunity before it comes.
1: Oh, I mean, I have tons of imposter syndrome. But maybe it's not imposter syndrome as much as it's um, trauma addiction, you know? Like, I realized that I'm like, I'm addicted to things going wrong because I'm so used to things going wrong. So I think it's more that. Now, um, yeah. when you have an actual practiced skill set, no one can take that away from you. So, you know, this season I had to do some things I never done before. Mm-hmm. Every, every every year you get better, you know. I had to deliver a 30-second a intro in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on a fishing boat in a mink coat. I did that. Um, I never <laughs> could have imagined doing that just so we're clear, because I don't want anybody coming after me. It's a mink coat from, like, the 20s, okay? So it's not a new mink coat, like, right? I'm, Vintage. I'm repurposing, okay? Oh, well, yeah, totally. But I never thought I'd ever do something like that, and I never thought I could do something like that. I could have that skill set, that memorization, mm-hmm. to, get, to get a paragraph and memorize it in five minutes and deliver it on camera in one solid piece. I never yeah. thought I could do that, and I can. It's incredible. So I think it's um, when um creating the niche, creating the thing for yourself, you know? Yeah. And... Also, like, failing. So much failing. Oh, my God. Uh, Also, like, so many jobs I don't get. (laughs) So many jobs I don't get. So many things I want that I don't get.
0: Yeah. We never talk about those, though.
1: I talk about when shit don't work out all the time. I have a casting today for something I really, really want. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But, like, if people want to hire you as yourself, like, that's so rad. So you may as well be yourself. Yeah. So I'm really lucky for where my careers come and where it's heading and— all of those things. But there's no secret sauce. The only secret sauce I have is just do it even when it hurts. Last question. Mm -hmm. What drives you? Uh, Okay. What drives me? Mm -mm 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 -mm. What drives me? I think solutions drive me. I just got to get to the place where things are better. And I'm really tired of talking about how bad things are. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of having that powwow. I'm tired of being invited to that barbecue. I want to go to the Imagination Innovation Revolution barbecue. <laughs> I want to talk about solutions. That's, that's it. Those drive me. Solutions, answers drive me. Those are the things that I'm like, I lose sleep over it. How do I fix this thing mm-hmm. that we can all agree is a problem? Right, I can't think of anything that would make my legacy matter more than to be someone who got to say they spent their life looking for solutions. You know, that's just mm-hmm. like the best. Like, for, if I get to look back at my life, I don't care if I don't if I don't have kids of my own, if like I don't win an Oscar, whatever. If I can look back at my life and be like, I, I really just always. Worked and tried my ass off. I'm talking parable of the sower. I'm talking like (laughs) some shit that didn't even make sense, but now it does, right? Back in the day, oat milk Mm -hmm. didn't make sense. Now it's in everyone's coffee cup all over the world, right? Like that level Mm -hmm. of solution, like if I can look back at my life and be like, that is what you spent your life doing, just looking for answers to these insane problems, like life well lived, bitch. Let's go.
0: That, my friends, was Sophia Rowe. You can follow her on Instagram at Sophia underscore Rowe, that's R-O-E, and me at Gillian Sigansky, my Polish-Jewish-Russian last name. As always, I want to hear what you think of this episode and every episode. So DM me with questions, comments, concerns, really anything, I'm here for it all. And I mean that. I'm going to go try to cook something more complicated than steamed vegetables, but don't judge me if I cave and order takeout. Until next time.